Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, July 8th, 2015. Yeah, we did our light episode today, so uh, normal episodes from here on out to the end of the week. Have you registered for Pirate 2015 yet? I hope you have. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to open up our Bibles and, you know, use sound biblical exegesis, Orthodox, you know, historic, Orthodox, biblical, Christian doctrine, you know, things like that to actually see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, and self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses to see if what they say actually squares with what God's Word says when we put it back into context to see if they're teaching the truth or if they're, uh, well, twisting God's Word, blaspheming God's name, if you would. We've all heard about, uh, you know, blaspheming God's name, you shall not take God's name in vain. Well, uh, that happens primarily not on your uh, smartphone when somebody types in OMG. Now, granted, it is that. The thing is, it's so much more than that. OMG is like the tip, and I mean the tiny, tiny little tip of the iceberg, uh, while the uh, the real thing that's being uh, talked about there, taking God's name in vain, is to speak falsely about God, to you know, to blaspheme God's name. You, you think about the um, the people who the Jews, uh, the Pharisees, who uh, took Jesus to task, uh, and uh, they thought that he was blaspheming when he say, said that he was the Son of God, when he made himself equal. With God, read the Gospel of John. You'll see what I'm saying here. They thought that he was speaking falsehood in the name of God, and uh, as a result of that, they, uh, you know, one of the things they did was put him to death. But uh, the idea here is, is that blasphemy takes place primarily in the pulpit. Uh, blasphemy takes place primarily by those who claim to have been sent by God. Uh, and uh, their words do not square with what God's written word says. Blasphemy occurs when somebody claims to be a prophet and claims to be receiving direct revelation from God, and that revelation uh, not only doesn't square with God's word, it's it's flat-out false doctrine. So um, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, by the way, we're going to get all kinds of examples of blasphemy, if you would. Scripture says that in the last days... 
that God would send a strong delusion so that people will believe a lie because uh, they did not love the truth. And I think there is a lot of strong delusional so-called Christianity running around the landscape today. And we're going to uh, be imbibing, if you would. We're going to be looking at multiple examples of um, what we would consider, well, just rank delusion, if you would. And so our number one, I mean, we're going to be hearing from Patricia King. We're going to be hearing from Jennifer LeClaire. We're going to be hearing from a woman by the name of Dr. Paula Price. And I've watched her videos a couple of times now, and I still have no clue. I'm utterly in the dark as to what it is this woman's actually talking about. We are also going to be hearing from uh, Heidi Baker. Yeah, she uh, <clears throat> she was recently in the Netherlands, Amsterdam, in the Netherlands for the Mission Possible Conference. And uh, so, <laughs> oh man, you're going to hear some poor translator trying to translate her nonsense into um, the language of the Netherlands. And uh, and so you know, we're, our number one, we're really going to literally just be all over the place is the best way to put it. Our number two, we're going to head to Elevation Church, and we are going to be listening to a sermon from one of the young campus pastors. Now, the summertime uh, here at Fighting for the Faith is an interesting time as far as our sermon reviews are concerned. The reason why they're interesting, uh, number one, we have the uh, proverbial... Uh, <clears throat> How do I put this? Uh, movie sermons, if you can even call them sermons, and um, and then we uh, we have also an example, an opportunity to see the up and coming coming seeker driven vision casting leaders in training, if you would, under the uh, visionary leaders at uh, major mega churches. That's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be listening to a sermon. Uh, again, I, I'm using that term really, uh, if you would, loosely. But we're going to be listening to a sermon called Staycation, Do Your Thing. And, of course, uh, Stephen Furtick is the king of the Narsajites. Uh, this is a guy who basically teaches you to allegorize every biblical text and make it about your life. Well, it, doesn't, it shouldn't surprise us then if one of uh, Stephen Furtick's young understudies, uh, Jonathan Josephs, uh, if he ends up, well, you know, wrongly handling God's word and passing it along as if he's being profound when in fact he's actually being blasphemous is a good way to put it. So that's what we're going to be doing with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And because of the nature of the weirdness that you will be hearing in today's episode, I must warn you with our standard warning and then we'll get right into it. So here we go. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You have been warned. You know, if you get hurt listening to this episode, it is on you, not me. So let's get to it. 
That's right. We're going to start off with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are standing in a row. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl, a ball, roll a bowl, a ball. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny a pitch. All right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, and uh, we'll be playing audio from them here shortly. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to start off with uh, Patricia King for the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update. And we're going to be listening to her recent video, uh, which is posted over at uh, xpmedia.com, entitled Extend Your Territory. And this is just bizarre. Here we go about ready to see an expansion in your life, an extension of the territory of the Lord's goodness and His grace upon you and your house, if you will align with Him. If you- ah, so if I will align with God, I will see an expansion of God's territory in my house. Mm-hmm. What exactly do those words mean? I'm hearing words, and I'm not sure I understand uh, what they mean allow your expectation to arise if you will overcome the obstacles that are before you. God's heart for you. So if I allow my expectation to arise, uh, expectation for what exactly? And if I overcome the obstacles that are placed before me. I mean, it sounds like a challenge given, you know, via Mission Impossible, you know, kind of like this. Gratuitous Fighting for the Faith musical interlude coming on. Do you want your territory to expand? Well, God's expanding territories right now, and all you have to do is increase your expectations, overcome obstacles, and, well, defeat, (laughs) or overcome and win victory and spiritual challenges and things like that. So God's ready to expand your territory. Will you take the mission? Might sound impossible, you know. All right, sorry, sorry, I'm rocking out to this. I, I got to stop that. All right, so you kind of get the point. Yeah, well, oh, there you go. So God's extending your territory. You just got to, you know, increase expectation and stuff. We continue. Is to extend your territory, and yeah. you will see it. You're going to see it. You're going to see an expansion in this next season. Yeah, in this next season. Um, how many days is a season exactly, and when can I expect that this next season begins in... in how far away from that are we? Genesis 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed mankind and said, be fruitful and multiply. In other- yeah, uh, in Genesis 1, 28, when God says to be fruitful and multiply, yeah, that's referring to human procreation. That's what that's referring to. 
increase, expand, extend. And we're taught in scriptures that, that you know, con- consistent all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all about advancement. It's all about increase. We look at people like Joshua, who is told by God to go in and conquer the land. There were- yeah, um, what land am I being called to conquer? And how is it that you're basically going to Genesis one twenty eight and saying, you know, where God says, be fruitful and multiply, and that somehow this creates some kind of spiritual principle regarding increase that then uh, is has something to do with Joshua taking the land, and then that then you draw the line, you know, from Adam and Eve to Joshua to me, and that means that God's telling me in this next season that he's going to increase my territory. I mean, wh- what exactly are you talking about here? Because, you know, I... I'll be blunt. I don't even own any territory at the moment. That, that's right. Yeah, I rent my house. And so uh, because we rent the house, I mean, I, I've got no territory on planet Earth that I can say that territory right there. Yeah, you, you see on the map, on Google Maps, you know, you can zoom in. You can use the satellite view and or you can do the street level view. You know, you could say this territory right here. Yeah, that's the territory of Roseboro. Yeah. So uh, because I'm renting property and don't even own any territory on planet Earth, nothing uh, on terra firma has my name on the title. Um, that means that I, in order for God to increase my territory, he must first give me some territory. So, But you said he's giving, he's extending people's territory in this upcoming season. Right, okay in the land that had to be overcome but he was given that promised land and he was called to bring the people into it yeah what god's going to do in your life in this next little while it's not only for you but it's for those whom you love and others are going to be feasting on the breakthroughs that you have because you are in so people are going to feast on my breakthroughs Okay, now you're mixing metaphors and I'm really confused. Okay, so, all right, so God's going to increase my territory, but I don't have any territory, which means God would have to give me some territory to increase. And then it's not just for me, it's for everybody else. And and people are going to feast on my breakthroughs. Um, do you buy breakthroughs at the grocery store? Can I go to Sam's Club and get some breakthroughs so that my family can feast on them? What on earth are you talking about? I mean, this is utter nonsense. A season of yeah. extension. Okay, so season of extension. In Deuteronomy one eleven, yeah. it says, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you or extend you. A th- yeah, Deuteronomy one eleven. Have you have you heard of the biblical hermeneutical concept of referent? Yeah, when we look at uh, God's word, one of the things we need to look at is, uh, you know, referent. Who is being spoken to and what's being promised to them? Is it specifically for them or does is God talking to, you know, all of humanity? What are we talking about here? So Deuteronomy one eleven is the uh, the passage that you were referring to. And, of course, I'm just asking the question, what's the referent here? Because I'm utterly confused by what you're saying. And Deuteronomy 111, may the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a blessing, uh, uh, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he promised you. Okay, yeah, the issue here, oh man, is that the you is plural. Okay, so who are we talking about here? So let's see, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Suf between Paran, Tafel, Laban, Hazaroth, Dizahab, 
It is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Okay, so check this out. Deuteronomy 1.1 makes it clear that Moses was speaking specifically to the children of Israel, which explains why then in Deuteronomy 1.11, the you is y'all, it's plural. And uh, the people he was referring to, you know, the children of Israel, were at a specific place in a specific time. So unless you were there at that particular time, this probably is not <laughs> referring to you and me. Okay, so yeah, well, it's in the Bible. Yeah, the thing is, you got to put some context around it. A thousandfold more than yeah. you are. Yeah. And bless you. Yeah. Just as he has promised you. Now, I sense that... Yeah, again, the you is y'all in the Hebrew, and the y'all there is the children of Israel at a specific place. 11J journey from Kardesh Barnea, you know? You're watching this, and you've received promises from the Lord I have. about expansion, about... No, I, I, I'm, a, I'm actually praying for promises from God for decrease, and, and you know, because I'm always constantly perennially trying to become half the man I used to be, so... You know, I'm actually praying for a decrease in, in human poundage that's upon my skeletal frame. You know what I mean? Blessing from the Lord, but you haven't seen it manifest. Get ready. Yeah. It is about to manifest. Oh, so expansion's going to manifest. Oh, great. How much longer am I going to have to spend on the treadmill? Coming into a new land. Yeah. You see, as Christians, we're never supposed to stay right where we are. I mean, it's okay to put up your tent for a while, just like they did. Uh, in, so in- it's never okay for me to stay where I am. So as a Christian, how often do I need to move? Do you realize that Mrs. Roseboro doesn't really enjoy packing up the house and putting it in boxes and moving it? And now you're saying that as a Christian, it's not. I, we're not supposed to be staying put? Hooey! Man, am I confused by this. Wilderness Israel was there and they would stop and yeah. put up their tents and yeah. play house for a while. But then they had to move forward. Uh-huh. And God always wants you to move forward. So you might be comfortable. Yeah. How foul, you know, I move forward on a daily basis. In fact, very rarely do I go backwards. When I'm walking, I'm facing forward generally. Although from time to time, I've been known to walk a few steps backwards. But that's pretty much it and i don't have one of those things that when i hit the reverse it goes beep beep you know and even my truck i put it into the garage facing forward and then i had to back it out and then you know drive and when i'm driving down the highway i'm moving forward will god count that say an anointing that you've been operating in or a gifting that you've been operating in or uh, comfortable even where you're at as far as financial status Uh it might be comfortable but god's inviting you to extend, to expand, and to increase. and so-, so God's inviting me to extend and expand and increase all because you read Genesis one twenty eight and Deuteronomy one eleven out of context. Right. As you feel that nudge, just say yes and move, move forward in that. Yeah, I'm not feeling no nudges. I also want to read you an encouraging scripture out of Deuteronomy 8. Uh-huh, Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 9. How much you want to bet you twist this one too, Patricia? It says in verse 7, For the Lord your God, let this be prophetic to your own heart, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of, of, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. All right. Now, real quick here. uh, This is a quick lesson in uh, biblical typology. 
considering the fact that uh, we have a passage in uh, the book of Hebrews that uh, teaches us something about this, let me explain what I mean. In the book of Hebrews, um, it, it, it talks about the fact that Abraham, well, that he didn't receive the promises. Yeah, let me read to you Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 8. Here's what it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Here's the verse. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised. Yeah, catch that. Uh, But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people thus who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their, uh, called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You want to know what that city is? You know, kind of get a glimpse of it. Look at the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. But the idea here is actually quite simple: is that uh, in the Old Testament, the promised land, you know, that the children of Israel were to go into the the, the land flowing with milk and honey, um, the the physical uh, land of uh, the of, of Israel in a sense, really typologically points us to the real promised land. The real promised land is not here on this earth. The real promised land is in the new earth, uh, the city whose foundation, is, uh, who's built by God. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah, in a sense that, uh, yeah, God is going to bring me into a land where there is no scarcity and things like that. That does not mean, by the way, because God promised that to the children of Israel, that does not mean that uh, I am being promised an, an earthly inheritance in this temporal world that somehow is that means I'm going to you know live with all kinds of abundance and things like that. She's really twisting God's word here. You know what I mean? Well, this is very powerful because Israel, when they were receiving this promise, this prophetic promise from the Lord, they were still in the wilderness. Yeah. They hadn't passed through yet. Yeah. And God was preparing them to go into an extended um, blessing expansion, increase, multiplication, and into fulfilled destiny, just like what he's doing for you right now. Uh, Just like what he's doing for me right now. If by that you mean that God has prepared for me a heavenly kingdom, yeah, that that I get to be a citizen of, and uh, and that eventually I will see the kingdom of God with my own eyes when Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, destroys the current time-space continuum and everything, and, and creates a new heavens and new earth, well then, yeah. But that's not what she's talking about, is it? She's talking about, oh, God's going to increase you right now, expand your territory in the here and the now and all that kind of stuff. And notice here, um, she's speaking to a camera, which means, yeah, she's not even talking to any particular person. It's just anybody who stumbles across this video. She claims to be speaking this prophetic word over uh, without any... (laughs) 
any uh, detail as to who the person is that's you know listening to the video. So a pagan watching this could be be told by Patricia King via this video that God's going to expand their territory. Yeah, right. So in other words, this is just utter nonsense. And by the way, talking about nonsense, uh, uh, we're still under the uh, auspices of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update music, if you would. Here is um, a a lady by the name of Dr. Paula Price, and uh, she's talking about, is the the apostleship being uh, behind the times, is the name of the video, and see if you can make heads or tails of this. Look forward to the apostolic. Yeah. I think that the, the, the challenge that we face is that it has to be different from the old. Yeah, so we're looking for the apostolic, and the challenge is it has to be different from the old. Right. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. I'm hearing words, nouns, and verbs stuck together into sentences, and none of this is making any sense to me. A lot of things are going to have to change for people to know that this is not the same. Yeah. Because most of you are here. We're even going to have to change our language because most of you are here have been listening to this tone so long, you don't really hear what we're saying. And listening to what tone? The, 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 the tone on the phone when you pick it up? That, what tone are you talking about? You don't hear what we're really t- – we're, ta- we're using different words but the same tone. Uh-huh. Okay. And what are you talking about? same rhetoric and you don't realize that it's very different when you're looking for apostleship you're looking for people it cracks me up that we say apostles are governmental and apostles don't learn about government uh, there are no living apostles have you, have you checked the uh, requirements to actually be somebody who's filling the apostolic office yeah, it's right there in the book of Acts. Somebody who was there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry from the time he was baptized in the Jordan River and an eyewitness of his death and resurrection. Yeah, there there are no there ain't nobody qualified to actually fill the apostolic office today. See, I'm stuck there. Yeah. How you gonna be a governmental office and you don't understand government? I'm gonna need you to take some government classes. How- yeah, I'm gonna need you to take some classes in like basic you know, clear thinking, you know, because you're making up words here and putting sentences together that have no meaning. We want to we want to counsel mayors and presidents and whatever, and we want to counsel them with ecclesiastical rhetoric that doesn't fit. Most of the apostles today don't know the laws of the land. How about they don't even know the laws of their city? Most- there are no apostles today. Don't know the laws of their church, but that's a whole other thing. The point that I'm saying is that you probably have a better handle on what God is doing than we have in your world because we're speaking from our world. Uh, what, what world are you speaking from? It has to do if apostleship is going to show its relevance is we're going to have to articulate it in a way that snaps people out of their doldrum. We're gonna- uh-huh. So if you're going to uh, communicate apostleship in, in, in a way that's relevant – yeah, I, again, could you diagram that sentence for me and tell me what on earth you're talking about? Snap people out of the past. Yeah. Snap them out. And because, let's be real. We're in a technological society. We're in a yeah, clearly we are. Society where information reigns and, and who, he who has the information dominates. I mean, that is the – how many of y'all, y'all know that, right? Y'all in the workplace. Say, I was preaching, don't know that. That was preaching? All we know is what we know. And so as we move forward to the question of relevance, taking all of these thoughts, these magnificent statements into one something, it has 
to sound different. If it keeps quacking like a duck, acting like a duck, singing like a duck, people are not going to know that it's just wearing a duck's costume. Right. So it needs to sound different because it's wearing a duck's costume. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what on earth that one was talking about. Yeah, maybe we could take a listen to another one of her uh, segments from that lecture at, on the uh, other side of this break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. <laughs> Quick break when we come back. A little bit more of. Uh, the strong delusions that have overcome the church. It's, you know, it's everywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to apologize to all of our listeners. Normally, we do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances in the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit, and we saw 12 people heal the Word of Knowledge and 40 healed doing the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do a little Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. You can Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you dig your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. Put your left foot out. Put your left foot in. Put your left foot out. Put it in. And you shake it. And you shake it all about. 
started doing the hokey pokey at first with the arms, uh, nothing, nothing real effect. But then as soon as I just start, we started doing the whole, who put your left foot in, your right foot in, both of my knees, you know, one at a time. I could just feel all of a sudden it's like there was no pain. I said, and you said, start checking yourself. I just squat down. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for new knees in yes. Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. Um, I've had back problems most of my life, and a couple about a week ago, my back had gone out, and it was somewhat better, but it was still sore uh, up until today. And when we did that hokey pokey, and she came up and testified, all the pain went. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all of these apostles and prophets and people out there claiming to be receiving, you know, experiences from the Holy Spirit, that they're, well, they're not. 
just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And if you're thinking about being in Denver at the end of the month and uh, participating in our Pirate Christian Radio uh, 2015 conference, the, the kind of the anti-conference conference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we will not have a large stage. There will not be a smoke and light show. Mr. Sparkle will not be making an appearance. Instead, we've <laughs> invited uh, myself, Jeremy Rohde, uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and uh, Jordan Cooper to be speaking about uh, Coram Deo, Coram Mundo, our right standing before God by grace through faith, and then how that is lived out before the world. And uh, and the idea is is that it's going to be a small, intimate environment, the ability to kind of hang out with us, have a meal with us, talk with us, corner us, ask us anything you like. And uh, and it's, you know, again, an anti-conference conference, if you would. And uh, go to piratechristianradio.com uh, using a, a computer, a laptop, or, or a code for the iPad is, is not quite working right, and I can't figure out what the issue is there. But anyway, and go on there and click on the conference link. It's only forty nine ninety five to attend. Each day will begin at 1 in the afternoon and in the early evening. It'll be a great time to... Uh, you know, come and hang out with us. We're, I'm looking forward to meeting some of the listeners, and uh, we're hoping to, you know, it'll be a, just a, a a good time will be had by all is a good way of putting it. All right, let's uh, continue with our uh, Strong Delusion episode of Fighting for the Faith. Let's listen to a little bit more of Dr. Paula Price as she talks about now apostolic relevance. Things that we need to be aware of with the apostolic is that it never ceased to be relevant it was just dismantled. Amen. So the and, apostolic never ceased to be relevant. The apostolic is relevant to this day. I mean, I can go to the apostolic scriptures and hear the apostolic message and uh, and preach the apostolic texts, if you would. So the apostolic is really important. It's just that there are no apostles today. You dismantle something and then build culture yeah. and theology around it. Uh-huh. It appears to be irrelevant to what God was doing. I have no idea what you're talking about now. Let's lay out a couple of facts. Number one, the apostolic is the first office of the New Testament. Yes, the uh, the uh, Christian church is built on the office of the apostles, for sure. Yet nobody's qualified to actually hold that office. Listen to last week's episode of Roseboro's Ramblings on the Pastoral Office, or the Office of Pastor, Part 1. And uh, yeah, I, I, I walk through this text. Also, the office that closed out the old. Many of us don't realize that Jesus Christ came under the law. He came to fulfill the law, and he ended up being that great apostle sent from God. Apostleship then establishes not just order, but the apostle and the prophet represents the governmental stratters. The governmental stratters. What's a stratter? Kingdom. Heretofore, we have been governed by the citizens. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that last night. Heretofore, we've been governed by the citizens. Citizens of what? 
democracy of the kingdom. Uh-huh. We've been Democrats and not a monarchy. Oh, How, yeah. Okay, so when we start dealing with the apostolic, the reason that you all are frustrated with the church is the same reason why God is raising up the apostolic. The reason, Yeah, no, God's not raising up the apostolic. The apostolic office has uh, run its course and fulfilled its duty. It's a vacant office now. And the, uh, the apostles are still discipling the nations through the written word of God. You don't want to pay attention to its leaders is the very same reason why he's raising up the apostolic. The reason you no longer trust the men and women of God, the reason that you no longer want to help us build the kingdom, is based on the fact that the office that has the least mention in the New Testament has been dominating the church. Uh And again, she's not making any sense whatsoever. All right, you know, we're still, again, under the auspices of the... um, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. Here is uh, Jennifer LeClaire and an uh, interview she recently appeared on uh, live at LaCie.com, uh, where she's going to be talking about the, uh, the next great move of God. Here we go. Okay, so you talk in your new project, uh, the next great move of God, about the, this, this next great move that's coming. It's referred to sometimes as a third awakening. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Well, in 2007, this was way before the Great Recession Mm -hmm. or many of the Antichrist agendas we see rising today. Uh, Way back then, the Holy Spirit woke me up at midnight in April of 2007. He told me he wants to bring a third Great Awakening to the land. Mm -hmm. So God woke you up uh, in the middle of the night in 2007. God wants to bring a third Great Awakening. Yeah, so I'm sure the uh, conversation went... Uh, hi, Jennifer. This is the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, I, I've been looking at my day planner. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I, really would like to uh, bring a third great awakening to the land. And, you know, could you, uh, you know, you seem like you're pretty technical and stuff. And, um, you know, you know how to use a video camera and upload it to YouTube. Uh, could you like let people know that you know? Hey, I'm here, and you know I really am looking forward to you know bringing a third great awakening. And you know, and and since you're you know so able to you know use that fancy technical equipment that just confuses me to death, uh, it, you know, I'll I'll include you like in a high profile position when you know when I finally figure out how to launch this third great awakening thing. I, I'm still a little confused as to how to go about doing that. But be patient. I'll I'll eventually figure it out. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we continue. He gave me a list of all the things he wanted us to repent for. He said he requires repentance. And so that really profoundly impacted me. But I didn't have really a revelation or an understanding of how much we really need that third great awakening. And so I, I, I sort of put it on the shelf. So Christians need a third great without it. Oh, we're, we're just in trouble. Yeah. And I agree. Repentance is uh, clearly needed. Um, yeah. And so we should start with repenting of uh, false prophets and prophetesses like you. I, I left it there, and, and the Holy Spirit began talking to me again about it, uh, I guess it was a little over a year ago, mm-hmm. about how he wants to move on America. And it was this, this, this message that Dutch Sheets is preaching on the appeal to heaven that just lit me on fire, and I've been pressing hard toward transforming heaven. Not revival where we have a goosebump or mm-hmm. you know, we lay on the ground and vibrate and all the stuff that charismatics love to do, but a, a transforming revival that impacts cities and, and states and nations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's more than just you know a goosebump. 
or gyrating uncontrollably on the ground, which charismatics love to do. Okay. Well, the naming it the third great or calling it the third great awakening uh, that has historical. Re- yeah, it hasn't even launched yet. Reference to the first two, and and in those times, I mean, those are moves of God that, like you said, had a fundamental transformative change on on culture and society in America. Uh, what is it from those? Great Awakenings that you see or foresee happening in the Third Great Awakening? Well, before the last two awakenings, and some would argue there's been more, there's been other outpourings, but I believe there was two Great Awakenings, and we saw the nation or, or society at a point where people thought... <laughs> This is just falling apart. You know, this is this is nothing good going forth. And what we saw is a return of holiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when the Pentecostal movement was born out of, of holiness preaching. We saw a return of family values. We saw uh, a return of uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And again, I think this third great awakening is going to have a, an element of the supernatural. I think it's what it's going to take to wake up some of the lukewarm Christians, to wake mm-hmm. up some of the lost who they don't know Jesus. They don't believe that he's alive. But when they see the healings, when they see the miracles, they're going to fall on their knees and say, you know, my God, you know, save me. Okay. Yeah, actually... Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, if somebody's going to be raised from the dead spiritually and fall on their knees and say to God, God, save me, that's going to come through the preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so you said that when the Lord spoke to you about this, there were things that we needed to repent of. Can you name some of those? I can. Yeah, we need to repent of false charismatic signs and false charismatic prophecies and false charismatic words of knowledge. In fact, we need to repent of the entire, uh, well, the entire basis of the Pentecostal movement, which is basically this idea that you know, Christians can be you know, saved, baptized, born again, and not have the Holy Spirit, are in need of a second uh, baptism, a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, as evidenced by speaking in tongues. Yeah, that, the Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, the, uh, the Pentecostal charismatic distinctives are not actually biblical. There's no such thing as a born-again Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. So I would say we need to repent of that. We need to repent of um, all of the false teachers who are out there twisting God's uh, word in the name of Jesus and in the name of signs and wonders like Bethel Church in Reading, Patricia King in the XP Media crowd. Uh, and then, then, then this goes all the way to every vision casting leader as well, who claims to have received a direct vision from God that they're casting to the people in their mega churches. That uh, yeah, you know, so there's a lot of repenting that needs to go on. Uh, we need to repent of the uh, of the purpose driven movement uh, as a whole, and uh, and all of the false teaching within the book, the purpose driven life. And we need to repent of this idea that God has a specific dream destiny that you're supposed to fulfill and learn from God via a direct. Revelation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's lots of repentance that needs to happen in the Christian church. You know what I mean? And he okay. said we needed to repent of the abortions. We've had, I guess, nearly 60 million babies aborted. And, and, and you know, he requires that blood. It's on our hands. And he requires repentance from that. Thank God he's so good mm-hmm. that we can repent. Uh, we need to re- uh, repent of the prayerlessness. Uh, uh, we need to repent of supporting televangelists like Benny Hinn. Kenneth Copeland, Paula White, Larry Huck, um, and you know T.D. Jakes, and all of those people who are telling you to sow a seed offering in the churches of not being the church. You know, Jesus said to occupy till I come. He said to be salt and light. He said to let your light shine. And we, as a church, it's been our responsibility to 
not allow these things to happen. And we have. It's happened on our watch. Uh, yeah. And we also need to repent of uh, permitting people to use the name Christian uh, as, uh, in fact, Christian pastor when they're basically promoting and uh, supporting same-sex unions. Yeah, Scripture is uh, vehemently against that. And it's time for us to call out the false teachers among us. And a real easy way to spot a false teacher, uh, one who is basically saying, yeah, I'm for same-sex unions and all things like that. Yeah, that, <laughs> and, and in the church, and we should bless those unions and, and say that God's in favor of them when he's not. When you talked, you just said a moment ago that the next great uh, move of God will include some of the supernatural. You know, some of the other movements and goosebump movements that we've had was based solely on the supernatural. Do you think that's why they've kind of waned? You know, some of those movements kind of just fizzled? Yeah, because goosebumps, uh, they kind of leave you wanting, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think you get the point where uh, basically we, this is an example of the blind leading the blind, and this uh, conversation is just incapable of uh, ending in a, on a biblical note. So moving along, yeah, time for a Someone's Heidi Baker update. This wedding and, and we wedding, we, well, we didn't have, we, Shabbat. Mm, Shabbat Sunday. That's right. Uh, We're going to be listening to Heidi Baker and her recent appearance. Um, She was at a conference in the Netherlands. The name of the the conference was Mission Possible. And uh, I got to tell you, what it is that we're going to hear is, uh, well, it's like uber creepy and super demonic is the best way I can describe it. And uh, and we have uh, use of a translator. So you're going to be hearing somebody translating uh, what she's saying, which is a bunch of nonsense, into the uh, language of the of people of the Netherlands. So without any further ado, here is uh, Heidi Baker's recent appearance at the Mission Possible conference. Here we go. Epidemic of measles. And these kids' immune systems are not. I'm going to change my words. Are needing a miracle. And in the immune system of the children. Now, nee, laat ik het anders so, zeggen. I remember this day. Ik herinner me die dag. It changed the way I think. En het heeft de manier van denken van mij And I know the group I'm speaking to. En ik weet, ik ken de groep. And the ones listening, I know many cannot even be here because you're not even allowed to be here. En velen van hen die kunnen hier niet zijn. We're so glad you're listening. Ze mogen hier niet zijn. Ik ben zo blij dat jullie luisteren. So we call this group of people to pray for the children. Dus we hebben die groep van mensen hebben we. We left the desserts. Hebben we geroepen en gezegd van ga binnen voor deze kinderen. Vergeet je toetjes maar, vergeet de douches maar. Our life is worship, so we don't count 
worshiping with our words and worshiping with our actions and holding a dying child. We don't count those anything different. Al die andere dingen die tellen we niet meer, want we leven ons leven met 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 woorden, maar ook met de acties, met ons daden, met ons leven. It's all worship. Het is allemaal aanbidding voor ons. It's all adoration. Allemaal die die grote liefde. So we go into this. The worship. Dus we, we, we gaan die, die and we're praying bidden. for our children to live and not die. There were about three, four nurses in this pile. Er waren zo drie, vier, we, we ended up with this pile of women, nationals and internationals, women crying out for these babies. A pile of women? Okay. Van mensen die, die daar, een, een internationaal, nationale, uh, mensen die daar uitbaden voor deze baby's, deze kinderen. And as we were crying out, I had a vision. En op het moment dat wij aan het uitbieden this... uh, Heidi Baker had a vision. Uh, how much you want to bet it wasn't uh, from God the Holy Spirit. This is what I want to bring Heb to you today. Een visioen gekregen, dat wil ik jullie vertellen. Vandaag. Jesus came to me. Jesus kwam tot mij. But he came to me and I was so... This is why I'm like this. So Jesus came to you, right? Okay. I was on my face. And I was weeping. And I was interceding. And I was groaning. With my sisters. For our children. For our children. Children that we rescued that we wanted to live. And so when Jesus came to me, en als Jesus op dat tot mij he kon, came from behind. Kwam hij van me. And all I could see were his So he came from behind, okay, from behind the pile of women, got it. His feet. I could see his feet. Ik, ik kon zijn zien. And they have nail marks in them. De de They're still there. And he showed me his feet. And there was blood on his feet. That's why when I get so Jesus' wounds are still oozing blood, really? Low enough. I can follow his feet. And see where the blood is. And I can call. Dan kan ik kruipen. An army of lovers. Een leger van hengelen. Call an army of lovers. Yeah, that's weird. And follow the feet of Jesus. So he came. And then. I don't know how. Ik weet niet hoe. But in grace I managed to lift my head a little. Maar door genade. And he had one robe in one hand. And he had a cloak in one of his hands. And one robe in another hand. And another cloak in the other hand. And in this right hand. And in the right hand. There was this robe of burlap. And there was the the mantle of burlap. It's it's very rough. It is a a a rough. It's coarse. It's not beautiful. And it was brown. And it was brown. And I don't really like to wear brown. 
So Jesus was holding a potato sack. Got it? And I looked at it and it was torn. And it wasn't, it didn't look perfectly clean. And it was just brown. And burlap. Did it say russet potatoes on it? Burlap. It was a servant's robe. Het was de mantel van een dienstknecht. And then he had another robe in this hand. En hij had een andere mantel in zijn wow! andere hand. Wow! That was magnificent. Dat was I mean, that robe. <laughs> you were so good. Mantel. That robe, it was translucent. Shakababa, uh-huh. It it was like living color. It it actually moved. It, it almost looked like it was alive. And I'm looking at it and I'm Whoa! That's the most beautiful robe I've ever seen in my whole life. And this is the largest pile of bovine scatology I've seen in a while. Um see notice here that uh you can't see the video, but I mean, the people there in the Netherlands are kind of hanging on every word of hers as if she's somehow bringing messages back from God. And, oh, she's, she's receiving direct. I want to get in on that. And, uh, yeah, the thing is, is that this is the kind of stuff that sure does. Um, well, uh, it exalts Heidi Baker, but it doesn't exalt Christ. Makes her super special. She has the inside track with God. I mean, while she was in a pile of women, she was the single woman chosen by Jesus to have this direct revelation. And a revelation of what seems to be utter nonsense. It's translucent. It had every color. And it was just moving. It was the most beautiful robe I've ever seen. You know what's missing from this presentation? A Bible. I see it. Mm. I can see it each way I look. You sure you didn't accidentally eat one of those magic mushroom thingies, you know? Translucent. And the Lord said to me, Heidi, Heidi. My name is Ida in Mozambique, but he calls me Heidi. He said, Heidi, choose your rope. Kiss your mantle. Yeah, and everyone's going, whoa. Yeah, I'm just sitting there going, you, you're believing this load of pablum, really? Choose your rope. Kiss your mantle. And I started crying out. Making a scene. My tribe, we don't care. We have dying children. We want to get hold of Jesus. We need Jesus. We're not ashamed to show our affections for the one that many of our friends have been tortured and died for. We're not ashamed to show our affections. Yeah, but you are ashamed to, like, you know, preach the word, which, by the way, you really shouldn't be doing. We're not ashamed to just kiss him with the kisses of our mouth. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. Jesus is not my bearded girlfriend. 
Yeah, you kind of get the idea. She's just going on and on about this supposed dream vision thingy that she had. Oh, direct revelation from Jesus. Oh, and Heidi, choose which thing you want to wear. Oh, she's so special that she got to choose. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the, his appearance. Um, his com- uh, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and false wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Strong delusion? Yeah, I think that this is a perfect example this entire first hour is examples of strong delusion after strong delusion because none of what these people said is actually found in the written apostolic prophetic word of God, the thing that we actually need to be studying and reading, because in there we will find the words of eternal life, not the words from these crazies who don't even make any sense at all, but the words of life found in the written word of God. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be going to Elevation Church, Charlotte, North Carolina to listen to one of the understudies of Stephen Furtick to see what kind of an impact Stephen Furtick's false doctrine has had on this young man. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc., But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. 
Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parent Dome was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. We're back, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review time. We're going to be heading down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Summer season, which means we get to hear some of the uh, vision-casting leaders in the uh, vision-casting leader farm leagues, if you would. And uh, the gentleman we're, we're going to be listening to, well, yeah, he's clearly studied all of the false hermeneutical techniques of Stephen Furtick, known as Narcissus. And has mastered the technique. Yeah, we're going to find that out here in a second. But here we go. Hey, ho. We got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Elevation Church, Charlotte, North Carolina. The person we're going to be listening to is campus pastor Jonathan Josephs. And the name of the sermon series is Staycation. The name of the sermon itself is called Do Your Thing. Do Your Thing? Really? That's a Christian doctrine? Do Your Thing? Well, apparently he thinks it is because he is a very eager understudy of uh, Stephen Furtick. And he has mastered the technique of narcissistic eisegesis in making every biblical text about you. Yeah, and this is not a good thing. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Jonathan Josephs and uh, and his sermon entitled, Do Your Thing. Here we go. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. What's up to all of our locations? And hey, let's just give one more special shout out to my favorite campus, the people at Uptown. What's up, Uptown? I love you guys. And uh, for those of you who are tuning in from outside the Charlotte area, Uptown is our weird, our, the weird way we call what we call downtown. And so the Uptown location's right in the heart of our city. But you guys can go ahead and have a seat at all of our locations. Thank you, and thank you, worship team. One of the uh, unique privileges I have as a campus pastor is getting to be a little up close to some of the great stories that are happening in our church. And if you're a part of Elevation at any of our locations, every week you see how people are responding to just the presence of God as God's word is being preached, and we see hands go up. And we get to hear a lot of those stories through baptism, but there's so many other stories that we might not ever hear, but sometimes as a campus pastor, we have the privilege of just kind of watching one of those stories unfold. And for me, one of the recent stories happening at the Uptown campus that's pretty cool is about a guy named Garrett. 
And Garrett has had a, had a difficult life, struggled with drug abuse, and actually ended up dealing drugs at one point, found himself in and out of jail at different times. But Garrett had a friend named Jason, and Jason had a very similar story to Garrett, uh, a lot of the same situations, but along the way, someone invited Jason to church. And Jason came to Elevation Church and gave his life to Christ, and he's been an important part of the Uptown Campus ever since. And Jason knew that the same Jesus who rescued him from his bondage was the same Jesus who wanted to rescue Garrett. And time and time again, it seemed like their paths would cross. And every time, Jason would invite Garrett to church. But Garrett didn't want to come to church, but Jason kept inviting him and inviting him. And his persistence is a great example about, of the power of same. We learned about the power of same at the beginning of the year. And I think it's neat that Garrett finally decided to come to church during that series at the beginning of the year. Garrett gave his life to Christ, and which is amazing. And like, like all of us, Garrett's still trying to figure out what it means to walk in all of God's purposes for his life. But Garrett knew one thing for sure. He knew that God had changed him on the inside and that he was a new creation. And so he declared that through baptism. We had the privilege of baptizing him at our uptown campus. And then Garrett invited his mom to church and she came because she saw the change in her son's life and she gave her life to Christ. Amazing, amazing. And I love that that really is the story of Elevation Church, just ordinary people stepping in to the opportunities that God's placed in front of us to make an impact, make a difference wherever. Stepping into the opportunities to make an impact and make a difference. Yeah. We can. And just the other day, I was thinking about how, um, how I ended up here, kind of the journey for Anna and I getting to Elevation Church. We were at school, at university. Anna was doing her MBA. I was uh, in seminary. And we just had a desire to be pastors one day to help people grow in their faith and to build the local church and expand God's kingdom. And Yeah, your wife can't be a pastor. God's word forbids that. And like so many people, Elevation Church was an inspiration to us. Before we ever stepped foot at an Elevation location, we were being inspired by your faith. By your faith. And I don't know if you know this, but around the country, even other parts of the world, your faith is an inspiration to the body of Christ because of how God is moving in this house. And that was our story. We were being encouraged by Pastor Stephen's messages and by the podcast and just hearing the amazing testimonies coming out of this place. And it was so inspiring to us. I remember... Yeah, have you ever stopped to think that all of the so-called testimonies is to basically build up more of the hype? so that they can get more people there at uh, Elevation Church. Uh, it's, it's a marketing technique. Yeah. You remember this at one point. We're like, man, wouldn't it be amazing to be in a church like Elevation one day? And I remember when Pastor Stephen came. Why? What's wrong with being a part of a church where the pastor faithfully preaches God's word, proclaims Christ and him crucified for his, our sins, and calls sinners to repent and to be forgiven, and rightly handles God's word and doesn't read, you know, basically read us into the biblical text in a way that it should not happen? Yeah, uh, uh, Furtick is the king of the Narsagetes. Yeah, everything's about him. Came to our school to preach, and it was right around the time the book Greater came out. And because of the inspiration and the role model he had been in our life, we wanted the opportunity to meet him. And so we went down afterwards to get a copy of the book, and he was signing books. We thought maybe we'll get a chance to meet him. But the line was so long. So many people wanted to meet Pastor Stephen, get a copy of the book. So they were really having to move people through quickly. So we decided to take a little bit of a risk. And we thought, if we go to the back of the line, there's a chance that he'll have to leave before we ever get up there. 
But maybe there's a chance that if we're the last people, we'll have a moment just to talk with Pastor Stephen for a second and thank him for what he means to us. And so we went to the back of the line and more people came and we went to the back of the line again. Here's a question I have. Who will get top billing in this sermon, Stephen Furtick or Jesus Christ? You, you decide based upon who he talks about the most. And more people came and we went back again and more people came and finally uh, we were the last people in line and we went up and got to thank Pastor Stephen and he asked quickly where I was from. I said I'm from the Toronto area. We call it the GTA, the greater Toronto area. And I imagine it was just fresh on his mind because it was right around the time that the church had just sent John and Heather Bishop up to the Toronto area to launch our GTA location. What's up John Bishop at Matthews? And what's up to our GTA location? All my Canadian people. And I imagine it was just fresh on Pastor Stephen's mind, but he wrote this on the inside of our greater book. He said, to Jonathan and Anna, GTA, greater things ahead. And Pastor Stephen, I don't know if you knew it at the time, but those three words would give Anna and I the courage and the faith we needed to step into God's best for our life. And so I'm so thankful for... Step into God's best for our life? Where is that taught in Scripture? For a pastor who inspires us to believe God for greater in our lives. It really is our story. And man, after a weekend... It really is our story. Notice he's telling his story. He's not telling a story from the Bible. No, no, he hasn't gotten to that yet. But again, ask the question, who's getting top billing here? Jesus Christ or Stephen Furtick? Like last weekend was unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm also so thankful for a pastor who's so vulnerable. And after talking with so many people at the Uptown campus, Pastor Stephen, I know there's so many people in our church who just want to thank you for having the courage to be a prophetic voice to the, our lives and the body of Christ, to our nation. Can we just thank God for our pastor at all of our locations? Appreciate you, Pastor. Love you, Pastor. Well, I'm excited about the message that God's put on my heart to share with you today because... Yeah, warning sign. God's put this on his heart. Yeah, I, I always get really nervous when somebody talks like that. This is a message that's come out of a place of struggle for me. This is something that God has been working out in my life. And so this isn't something I'm an authority on. This is a, this is a Me Too sermon. And one of the... Defi- a Me Too sermon, which means it's not going to be a biblical sermon. It's a Me Too sermon. Finding struggles of my life is this feeling of inadequacy. Do you ever feel like you're just in over your head? Do you ever feel like you just don't have what it takes? So often I think about the good things that God has placed in my life, the enormous blessings, the great opportunity, the sense of purpose that he's given me. But when I get to it, it always seems like there's something standing in my way and I just don't know how to move forward. I just question whether I'm the right person for the job. So, so often I feel inadequate and it leaves me frozen and paralyzed. And so I've been reading about Joshua. Joshua is this amazing character in the Old Testament who God had given an amazing purpose and assignment on his life. Just like all of us in this room, God has great promises that he's spoken over us. But I imagine... Really, God has great promises that he's spoken over us? You mean the promise of the forgiveness of sins, right? Eternal life, things like that. Uh, that's probably not what he means. He means some kind of like dream destiny, special assignment, you know, Mission Impossible style. Imagine that Joshua felt the same way I so often feel. And so I've been learning some things from this passage, and I want us to read it together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 1. Otherwise, you're welcome to follow along on the screens. It's a few verses. Bear with me. 
Joshua chapter 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. The title of my sermon today is Do Your Thing. And of course, I'm going to need you to touch three people around you. At all our locations, touch three people. Tell them, do your thing. Lake Norman. Uh, Do my thing. What are you talking about? This text has nothing to do with me doing my thing. What are you talking about? We're waiting on you. Touch three people. Do your thing. And so Joshua is given this amazing assignment from God to lead his people to occupy the land that God had promised them so many years before. What an amazing opportunity. What an incredible calling. And that's how I so often feel when I think about the opportunities and the blessings that God has placed in my life. I feel that. <laughs> I feel just like Joshua. What a calling. What an opportunity. Yeah, you too can be just like Joshua and have this amazing opportunity and ridiculously great calling. What about the the rest of the Israelites? How come nobody ever talks about them? What was their great calling? That way as a as a campus pastor, I feel that way as a husband, I feel that way as a dad and and, and I don't want you to think I'm a I'm like a complete failure and you're like why should I listen to this guy? He just doesn't know what he's doing. It's not that. I I, I believe God's given me a great sense of purpose. I see God using me in my life. I see how he's using me, the impact I'm able to have. I see myself moving forward, but it just seems time and time again in my life I find find myself at the edge of another Jordan River, and I just don't know what to do. You find yourself at the edge of another Jordan River, really. Um, I've never even been to Israel. I, I've, never, I've never had a Jordan River sitting in front of me. So notice what he's done. He's, he's, he's learned the narcissistic, eisegetical technique of Stephen Furtick, which, by the way, this guy said he was in seminary. Um, I doubt that he, when he took hermeneutics, his uh, hermeneutics prof said that now read yourself into every biblical text and allegorize all the important elements of a story, you know, like the Jordan River. Well, that that represents some challenge in your life as you're getting ready to launch in to take your promised land. Yeah, this is this is not sound biblical exegesis. This is a form of Bible twisting and a narcissistic form at that. We continue. And I especially feel this way as a, as a new dad. Like Pastor Steven said, I became a, a dad just eight months ago. We had a son named Zion. And um, one thing I've learned about being a parent so far, I know, I, I know I'm new at this, and there's a lot of things I still have to learn, but there's one thing I've learned for sure, for sure. And that is if you have a cute kid, people just tend to like you more. I don't know what it's like if you have an ugly kid, but if you have a cute kid, people just tend to like you more. And so selfishly, I want to show you a picture of my son, Zion, get you to like me a little bit more. But that's Zion and my wife, Anna, right there. Notice the elevation tank top, a swag. 
And I remember when Anna told us that we'd be expecting a child, and we were, we were just so excited, so excited. What an amazing opportunity that God would give us. And in our zeal and excitement, we just started doing everything we could to prepare. We were just determined that we would be the best parents ever. Our kid would- So does this text have anything remotely to do with, um, you know, this kid's wife getting pregnant and, and giving birth to a son? Yeah, no, not really. Not unless you're going to talk about the important biblical typology going on here, promised land, the wilderness wanderings, and how that points to our lives in Christ, baptized and not yet in the promised land. The promised land being the uh, future coming you know, kingdom of Jesus Christ uh, here on earth. Yeah, the new heavens, new earth, that thing. So yeah, he's not really pointing us to properly understand how this fits into salvation history or even in the overarching story of what scripture is about. So we got we got a problem here for sure. I mean this this story shows that he has no clue how what really what's going on in this text at all and how it relates to the bigger picture of of you know repentance, baptism, forgiveness of sins. Um you know, our life here in the now and the not yet and then in the uh and then Jesus's return in glory and his conquering of uh this current cursed creation in all of humanity and establishing himself, you know, visible reign on the new heavens in the new heavens and new earth, you know, things like that. You can talk about these things from the, that, that text, but what he's doing, you can't talk about. This text really has nothing to do with, you know, your wife giving birth to your son, Zion. Never have sugar. And our kid would sleep through the night from day one. And we're just like, we're going to be so intentional and do everything we can to be the best parents. We were, we were just excited and so we started preparing, and so we started getting the nursery ready, and Anna bought a lot of books that I'm assuming she read, and I downloaded different apps on my phone that would compare the size of the child in her stomach to different fruits and veggies. It was so helpful, so helpful to know my kid was the size of a blueberry. <laughs> and we started asking other people, other parents, what do, what do we do, trying to get all the advice we could. And then if you're a parent, you remember when the day finally arrives, you're standing in the hospital. Well, if you're, you're the man, you're standing in the hospital. If you're the wife, you're laying in the hospital. And I'm standing there, and our son is born, and the doctor comes over, and he puts the baby in my arms. And suddenly I realized that all that preparation was absolutely meaningless. I'm standing there frozen just in fear. Like, you just put this miniature human into my arms? What, what am I supposed to do now? It didn't matter what books we read. We just felt so unqualified to, to care for this child. And all these fears started rushing into my heart. And just to put it into perspective, if you're, if you're not a parent, to drive a car, you have to pass a test. And then after you pass the test, you have to spend time driving around with someone who actually knows how to drive. That's just for a car. And they're going to let me leave with this baby. I'm like, you're not, you're not coming with me to help me out. You're just going to let me walk away. Just take it just like that with a human life and we felt so unprepared and when we're in those moments in our life where we feel unqualified and uncertain and incompetent and inadequate it has a way of causing us to to freeze and and i know that as a parent there's a lot more uh, bigger battles that i'm gonna have to fight as zion grows up and maybe you're thinking yeah you're at the easy part i just i know i just got to keep them alive keep them fed it's we're doing we're doing good right now but it's those parts in the future 
that I'm so intimidated by? How do I get Zion to, how do I get Zion to just be a productive member of society? How do I get him to love God and love the church and love people the way I want to? How do I pass on my values? How do I teach him to find a great wife? I did it, but I, I don't know how I did it. So how do I teach him to do that? And I feel so intimidated by this responsibility. It's a blessing. But it's a responsibility. And maybe you feel that way about certain areas of your life. Maybe you're a mother here today and you sometimes feel like you just don't have what it takes. Maybe you feel like you're doing good just to get the kids off to school with matching socks. And then you get on Instagram and you see somehow all the other mothers have time to cut their kids' sandwiches they're packing into little dinosaur shapes. Or maybe, maybe you've been working at your job for several years now and you're, and you're doing good, you're doing fine and people seem to like you, but there's a new opportunity and you're hesitant to even take that promotion because it's a, it's a little bit different work and you're worried. What if I'm not as good at that as I am at this? And what if people find out I'm not as smart as they think I am? Or maybe you're a student and you're, you're not just, you're not sure how to move forward in the things that God has for you because all the voices in your life are pulling you in different directions. Your parents are, have one expectation of you and your coaches. What does this have to do with Joshua chapter one? Answer nothing. Pushing you another direction and your friends are pushing you another direction and you feel frozen, feeling I'm so inadequate. I don't know how to move forward in the great things that God has for me. And so I think all of us have these moments in our life, again, not that we're, not where we're actually failing, but so often we feel that way. We feel that way. We feel like we don't have what it takes. And we find ourselves at the edge of whatever the Jordan River is in our life, in our mind is being... Whatever the Jordan River is in your life. Again, I don't have a Jordan River in my life. I don't even have a Jericho. I don't have a giant that I need to slay or anything like that. This is to do violence to God's word, which kind of you know leads to that awkward question. You know, I mean, with this kind of uh, theology, I mean, you know, uh, how do you identify whether or not that you got a Jordan River to cross, whether you need to make the sun stand still, whether you need to conquer your Jericho, or do you need to slay your giant? I mean, how do you know which situation is before you, or if this is one of those situations where you just need to walk on the water? You see, when you do this to God's word, you make God's word meaningless, not meaningful. You think it's all about you and it's not. Jesus said to the Jews, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet they are the scriptures that testify about me and you refuse to come to me that that you may have life. So this kid has bought the lie. He's bought the lie that the scriptures are about him. And because he's done that, he has no idea how to rightly handle God's word. Let me give you another passage of scripture. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. This is the day of the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the grave. And starting at verse 13, it says that very day, the day of the resurrection, two of them, two of Jesus' disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened, Jesus' death and now the report that he, you know, he apparently had risen from the grave, right? And so while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Uh, from recognizing him. Greek text says their eyes were held. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? So Jesus is talking to them. They don't even know it's Jesus because by some miracle, he's kept them from recognizing him. 
So they stood still, looking sad, and then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you only a, a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said, Well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened, and moreover, some of the women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Jesus they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The scriptures are about Jesus. And so the, the text continues. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us? The scriptures. The scriptures will always remain a closed book to you and to anybody else as long as you think the scriptures are about you and they're not about Jesus and what he has done for you. If you think the story of Joshua is about you, you've missed the whole point. If you know that it's about Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing, then you will begin to understand what's going on in this text. But unfortunately... This kid, as, as as excited as he is to uh, you know to be a part of such an, an exuberant, zeal-filled, experiential church as Elevation Church, and to sit under the teaching of somebody who's as inspirational as Stephen Furtick is, this poor kid, uh, Jonathan Josephs, the campus pastor of Uptown, the Uptown campus of Elevation, because he thinks the scriptures are about him, he has no clue, really how to rightly handle the word of truth. He's not preaching the truth. He's preaching himself. And this is a problem because scripture reveals that in the last days, people will be lovers of self. This is what the apostle Paul wrote in his, uh, in one of his pastoral epistles, that in the last days, people would be lovers of self. And that's not talking about the world. This is talking about something that is happening wrong, bad happening within the church. This is, a, this is narcissism run amok. This is self-love being read into the biblical text. Filled with doubt, questioning, we're questioning ourselves, and we feel like, I just don't know what to do. And what God is encouraging me with in this passage and in this story of Joshua is that even when I don't know what to do in my life, even when there's uncertainty, and even when I feel inadequate, there's always a few things that I can do. And so I want to talk to you about three simple things that I believe all of us can do in those moments of our life where we don't know what to do. And the first thing I want to talk to you today about is this idea that we need to clarify our calling. If you're taking notes, my first point is clarify your calling. Clarify your calling. 
Uh, and how do I do that? God shows up to Joshua and is like, tag, you're it. You're it, Joshua. You're my new guy to take the people into the promised land. And so Joshua is given this incredible assignment from God that he's unprepared for, that he doesn't know what to do. And to make matters worse, he's stepping into the shoes of one of the greatest leaders that Israel had ever seen. You ever felt like you were in someone else's shadow? You ever look around and see other people who just seem to be doing something similar to you, but so much better than you? Yeah, this text isn't about that at all. You? I feel that way all the time, and when I do that, it's so easy for me to feel inadequate. But look at this. To make matters worse, we read from Joshua 1 where God shows up and gives Joshua this calling. Well, the last verse of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 34.12, it says this about Moses. It says, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. What's it saying? It's saying that Moses is awesome and everybody knows it. Moses probably had better breath than Joshua. He's just better in every single way. And all the people know about it. And now Joshua is called to lead the people of Israel who had spent the last several years following in the, following a leader who God had moved mightily through his life. And I feel like that so often. Imagine having to preach at Elevation Church after Pastor Stephen just... Notice this text. Joshua chapter 1 says nothing about Joshua feeling inadequate at all. Doesn't say, oh, you know, I'm just Joshua and uh, that Moses man, he did everything and I could barely do anything. That's not what this text says. It simply says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord, Yahweh, said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' Moses's assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the north uh, and the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. Be strong, courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded uh, you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. So notice, this text says nothing about Joshua feeling inadequate. No, it doesn't say, and thus the Lord has revealed that Joshua in his heart was feeling inadequate, feeling kind of glum, like how is he going to follow that act? Not at all. The text doesn't say that. He's reading it into it. We continue. Absolutely killed it last week. What a powerful message. That's intimidating. 
Or even as a campus pastor, when I became the campus pastor at Uptown, I was so thankful for the opportunity. I was excited. I felt like it was something that God had equipped me for. And I was so grateful to be able to be, to be given that opportunity. But the problem was, I felt like I was stepping into the shoes of a great leader who had gone before me. Because before I became the Uptown campus, Joel Delf, your Blatney campus pastor, was the Uptown campus pastor. Blatney, you love Joel Delf? So here's a question. Who's on top of the pile here? Was it Stephen Furtick or Jesus? We've only had a, like an honorable mention of Jesus. We've talked a lot about Stephen Furtick. Oh, we're hearing a lot about uh, this campus pastor from the Uptown campus, but we're not hearing a lot about Jesus like at all, are we? Yet Jesus in uh, Luke 24 reveals to us the scriptures about him. John chapter 5, it's all about him. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. That's the problem. Everybody loves Joel Delph. The guy's amazing. He's, he works out eight days a week. He's so, he's so good looking. And I feel like the only time people are ever looking at me is because they want to figure out what ethnicity I am. And they love Joel. And so, man, I step on the campus at Uptown and, um, and I feel God's called me to it, but I get there and, and I just feel like suddenly I don't know what to do. I'm frozen. How, how do I how do I help this person and what do I say in this situation and what do I do? And I felt so inadequate living in somebody else's shoes because in all seriousness, what how God's working through Joel's life and how God used him at the Uptown campus and how God is continuing to use him in this house is amazing. And Joel had really taken that campus to a great place and I felt so intimidated to do it. I felt like God had called me to it, but once I got there, I felt frozen. I just don't know what to do right now. And so I get on the campus and all I would hear is, we love Joel so much and Joel's so relational and Joel's so nice and Joel's so funny. Joel, 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 Joel. And I would go to Joel and I would say, Hey, Joel, you got to help me out. Like, I mean, I got this situation going on and, and you're a legend. So what would you do? And Hey, Joel, what would you say to this person? And what would you do here? And what Joel would say to me would become so helpful in my life, not just as a campus pastor, but in every area of my life, he would say, don't worry about what I did. Just do what God called you to do. So helpful. So freeing. The job of a pastor is to preach the word, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, proclaiming Christ in his saving office, rightly handling the word of truth, and you're not fulfilling the thing that God has called you to do if you're truly a pastor. And it allowed me to see this text differently because I'm thinking Joshua must have felt so intimidated to have to walk in Moses' shoes. And then I realized that God never called Joshua to walk in Moses' shoes. God called Joshua to simply be Joshua. No, he didn't. God called Joshua to do a specific task. And that doesn't mean that we're all given specific tasks in the same way that Joshua was. But the point is, is that you're, you're wrong. God had not called Joshua to be Joshua. God called Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the land, uh, the promised land. That was his job. In Joshua 1.5, he says, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. He's not calling Joshua to be like Moses. He's saying, I'll be with you like I was with Moses. Same promise, different purpose. And God's promises over my life and your life are the same. His word is filled with promise. What promises are you talking about? Uh, For a greater life, finding a purpose, a dream destiny, and nonsense like that? 
The good works that God has called us to do are in the vocations that God has put us in, as father, as mother, as husband, as wife, as child, as employee. Yeah, those we do the good works that God has called us to do in our vocations, not the, chasing after some dream destiny that we're supposed to fulfill in order to change the world. Yeah, if you think about it this way, James says faith without works is dead. That's what he says. But what the question is, what is a good work? Well, Scripture reveals what a good work is for a Christian. It doesn't leave you in the dark to guess or to somehow seek the Lord's face so that you can get a direct revelation from God so that you can figure out what your good works are going to be. No, Scripture reveals what those are. And if you have, a, if you have a, a copy of the book of Ephesians in your Bible, you read the book of Ephesians, like from, you know, from the beginning to the end. And in the book of Ephesians, it talks about salvation by grace through faith. And therefore, in light of that salvation, which is all a gift, God has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. And what do those good works look like? Well, husbands, love your wives the way Christ has loved the church. Uh-huh. Yeah, wives, submit to your husbands. And notice it talks about submitting to a husband who treats you with sacrificial love the way Christ has sacrificially loved the church and children obeying your parents. So faith without husbands loving their wives the way Christ loved the church is dead. Faith without women loving their husbands and respecting them, you know, and submitting to them is well, that's dead. Faith without changing dirty diapers is dead. Faith without helping your children with their math homework is dead. You, you get what I'm saying here? So faith without works is dead, and the good works that Christ has called us to have nothing to do with changing the world and following some dream destiny, some, oh, I'm the chosen one. None of, none of that. It's in the ordinary life and vocations that God has put you into. ...that he's given us, but our purposes are different. And God is asking us to clarify our calling and realize that he's calling us to simply be us. Only you... Clarify our calling. How do we clarify our calling according to this theology that you're putting forward? You can be you. If Joshua was consumed with walking in Moses' shoes, they would have spent another 40 years wandering the desert. Why? Because Moses' shoes were meant to lead the people out of something. But Joshua was graced to lead the people into something. And so God had a different purpose, but promised them the same presence in his life. And it's so freeing to realize that the only, the best thing I can be is simply me. God hasn't graced me to be Joel Delf. God hasn't graced me to be Pastor Stephen. God hasn't graced you to be your mother. God hasn't graced you to be your co-worker. God has called you to be you. Where in Scripture does it say God has called me to be me? And what do you mean by God has graced me to be? That's a weird use of the word grace. And only you can be the best you. And we'll always feel unqualified. We'll always feel inadequate. Notice that this is all law. This is all something you've got to do. This is not repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is not a right preaching of God's law and the gospel. In fact, I'm not hearing anything about Jesus in this. Are you? Quit in our lives when we're spending all of our energy trying to be something God has never created us to be. And in Joshua's life, I realized that God is giving him an assignment. He is asking him to do something. But more than that, God is speaking to something deeper. He's speaking to Joshua's identity. He says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Speak to his identity. Where are you getting that from? 
courageous. Why? Because God knew that what Joshua would face in his life would change, but who Joshua needed to be would be the same, no matter what he was facing. No, all Joshua needed to do was believe the words of the Lord. The Lord said, I will be with you. What's called for is faith and trust in God. Faith that what God said is true. That's what's called for is faith, not something to be true to yourself, but to believe the word of the Lord. Big difference. And God needed Joshua to be Joshua. And God needs you to be you today. No one else can be you. God needs you to be you. But isn't it interesting? Narcissism. How we so often find our value and self-worth by what we're able to do. Do you ever go through a day and it was a good day based on how many things you got to check off your to-do list? When, we're, when you're talking to a child, we always ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? But then when we meet someone for the first time as grown-ups, the, often the first thing we ask is, what do you do? And when did our identity, when did this idea of calling become so wrapped up in what we do rather than who God created us to be? And one of the best things that some of us can do... Yeah, again, the issue here is that God said, I will be with you. What's called is not for Joshua to be Joshua, but for Joshua to believe the word of the Lord. And the text itself shows, Joshua shows by his action. In verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers, the people pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Yeah, to possess. It shows Joshua uh, chapter 1 verses 10 11 show that Joshua believed and trusted God's word to be true and that God would follow through on what God said he would do. Do today is simply put the to-do list aside for a moment and create a to-be list. Ask God, God, who are you calling me to be? Create a to-be list? Really? Yeah, this text has nothing to do with creating a to-be list. Some of you, God's calling you to be an encourager. God's calling you to be a listener. And the best thing that you can do is simply be there for people and give them the strength and courage they need. Some of you, God's calling you to be generous. And maybe I'm speaking to someone who, who you feel like your life is meaningless and, and you're acquiring more and more things thinking that will make you feel like your life matters. And maybe the reason that God is blessing you isn't so that you'll be rich, but maybe he's blessing you so that you'll be a blessing. And maybe God is asking you to be you today. And do the thing that he created you to do. Yeah, see, the problem is I'm the problem. I'm a sinner. I don't live up to God's law. I'm the problem. Jesus is the solution. Why aren't you preaching Jesus? Because there's an assignment that God has given each of us in our life, and we each have a part to play. But you'll only... Yeah, again, could you show me that from Scripture? And uh, if you point to Ephesians 2.10, for we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. The good works are outlined at the back end of the book. Yeah, and it has to do with, well, serving your neighbor in the vocations that God has put you into. Father, mother, husband, wife, child, employee, things like that be able to do the things that God has called you to do when you become the person that God has called you to be. Got to clarify your calling. Touch your yeah, so clarifying your calling means that you've got to become the person capable and well worthy enough for this amazing calling that God supposedly is laying on your heart to do. And yet scripture doesn't teach that. And that's by way, purpose by works, not by grace. Your neighbor tell him, I can't do your thing. I got to do my thing. You got to do your thing. I got to do my thing. You got to do your thing. 
But here's the frustrating part. Here's the frustrating part. I'm like, all right, God, I get, I know who you've called me to be. I'm Jonathan Josephs. I'm feeling good. I'm Jonathan Josephs. And then I get to whatever Jordan River is in front of me, whatever situation it is. And, and suddenly I'm reminded once again that those voices of doubt flood my mind. And I realize that even as me, me is still a little disappointing. Even as me, I still don't have what it takes. Even as me, I still don't necessarily know what I'm doing. And suddenly I'm reminded over and over again that even as myself, I'm still insufficient to do the things that God has called me to do. Sometimes I don't have the energy. Sometimes I don't have the strength. Sometimes I don't have the wisdom. Sometimes I don't have the idea that I need next. Maybe you're a... Could that possibly be, be a, you know, a result of your sin? business owner and even as you, you you started the business from nothing you brought it to this place and and you feel stuck and you're wondering if you're the next person to, to you're the person to take it to the next level and even as you you feel a little paralyzed like I'm not sure what to do right now and what I see in this passage is God asking me to do something in my life and what I hear God speaking to me in those moments where even as me I feel inadequate God is uh, you hear God speaking to you uh, really direct revelation I don't think so asking me to deal with my doubts deal with my doubts deal with my doubts see i believe that doubt is a seed yeah again uh joshua had no doubts he believed the word of the lord and acted on those words in faith and what it becomes is largely determined by what i do with it when we let our doubt go unmanaged it grows into the weed of discouragement and the weed of fear that holds us back from the very dreams and destiny that God's placed in our hearts. Yeah, again, uh, dreams and destinies that God's placed in your heart. Bible don't, nowhere teaches that God's going to place dreams and destiny in your heart. False doctrine there. And uh, this text that you're reading from Joshua 1 does not have anything to do with any of that. And that's why I hate that voice of doubt so much in my life because I see it holding me back from opportunities and good blessings that God has given in me in my life. And so I spend so much energy trying to eliminate those voices of the in crowd. You know the in crowd? Inadequacy, incompetent, insufficient. And they drive me nuts and I want to eliminate them, but I realize that God is just asking me to deal with them. I can't get rid of them. I got to deal with them. Because when I deal with them, that seed of doubt can become something much greater than fear and discouragement. Instead of letting that seed of doubt become fear, I can allow it to produce great faith in my life when I deal with my doubts. Here's why, here's why. In Joshua 1.9, God says to him, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? He's reminding Joshua of who he is. He says, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Don't let No, actually, God is reminding Joshua of who God is, not who Joshua is. Don't get to that place in your life. He says, why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When I think about what God's called me to, I expect to hear God say, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged because I've given you everything you need. But that's not what God says to him. He doesn't tell Joshua that he has everything he needs. He says, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged because I'm with you wherever you go. I'm with you. And it's comforting to me to, for me to know that in this calling that God has given me, in this assignment, in these blessings, in these opportunities that he's placed in my life, I'm not doing it alone. There is a God who is with me along the way. Me, 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 uh-huh. 
Yeah, again, uh, top billing here. Jonathan Josephs is at the top. That's who he's primarily preaching about. Stephen Furtick comes in second. Jesus Christ, distant last place here. He's not preaching Jesus. And maybe doubt is a gift that God gives us to produce dependence on him. Maybe doubt is the... Maybe doubt. Uh, This text has nothing to do with doubt. Joshua believed the Lord, believed the words of the Lord. The very seed that God gives us to remind us that when we're insufficient, we have a need for an all-sufficient God. I'm spending so much energy trying to shake those feelings and eliminate that doubt. And God is asking me to deal with it and let it produce the faith that brings me to a place where I'm more reliant on him. And one of the best things we can do is deal with our doubts by inviting God into the places where we feel insufficient. God, I need you in my marriage. God, I invite you into my business. God, I invite you into the dream destiny that you've laid on my heart. God, I invite you into this relationship. God wants us to deal with our doubts because it's only when we realize that we can't do is when that's the only time we'll be able to see what God can do. And I want to see what God can do in my life. And God gives me these weaknesses. God gives me these limitations to remind me that I need him and I can let that seed of doubt grow up into faith. Yeah. Doubt never grows up into faith. Yeah. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Dependence, reliance on the God who called me. I got to deal with my doubts deal with my doubts and as I deal with my doubts and as I and I allow that to stir up faith in my heart knowing that God is with me and as I embrace who he called me to be and and I'm being Jonathan Josephs and you're being you I still get to this end of this edge of this Jordan River this this thing in front of me standing between me and the promises that God has given me yeah again you don't have any Jordan River in your life and God has not given you a dream destiny to fulfill sorry The Bible doesn't teach this. You have bought the lie, drunk the Kool-Aid, if you would, that Stephen Furtick dishes out every Sunday. And faith always requires action. Faith without works is dead. And so as much as God is giving me courage in my mind and reconciling things in my heart, there's still a point where I actually have to do something about what God has called me to do. And that's where Joshua finds himself. God is saying, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. But Joshua still has the assignment of leading the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. And for each of us, I know that there are so many battles that we're going to have to face beyond the Jordan River. And I know it's so easy to get intimidated. Yeah, I I don't have a Jordan River I need to cross. And... There is no beyond the Jordan River for me in the way you're talking. And scared by those things, but right now there's a Jordan River in front of each of us. And of course it's... No, there isn't. Symbolic for whatever's standing in front of you today. Maybe you're... No, it isn't. Yeah, the Jordan River is not a symbol, an allegory of something that stands between you and and your so-called dream destiny promised land that God's called you to. This is utter nonsense. This is not hermeneutics. This is narcissistically twisting God's word into a pretzel. The texts are about Jesus, not you. Your past has a way of getting out in front of you time and time again. Maybe it's that addiction. Maybe it's that thing that you're struggling with. Whatever that Jordan River is in front of you, God is asking us to cross it, to cross it. Yeah, I thought addiction was the Goliath I have to slay. Now you're saying it's my Jordan River. I am so confused by this weird twisting of God's word. I mean, which is it? How do I know it's not a Red Sea moment and I'm supposed to go and part the Red Sea? How do I know that an addiction isn't the Red Sea in my life? I need some kind of a roadmap to help me understand this narcissistic allegorizing.
to cross it. But I find myself so often standing at the edge of this Jordan River wondering, what do I do now? God, I believe you've called me. You're not standing at a Jordan River. Me to this, but there's this issue of my finances standing right in front of me. And God, I believe you called me to, uh, you've, you said you'd give me a great spouse, but I'm tempted to compromise my values because I just don't know how to cross this river and I'm sick of getting saved the dates in the mail. Whatever this river is in front of you, God is calling you to do something about it. Because God called Joshua to cross the Jordan River, lead the people into the land he promised them. And if you're a Bible nerd, you know that this isn't the first time the Israelites had to stand at a body of water. If you remember when they were coming out of Egypt, they got to the Red Sea as Moses was leading them out. But the difference was this time, God spoke to Moses and said, stretch out your arm and I'll part the water. God told Moses exactly what he wanted Moses to do. And God told Moses exactly what he would do. But it's different for Joshua because Joshua isn't given any instruction and Joshua isn't given any specific promise from God. Joshua is simply told, cross the Jordan River. And the uncertainty is part of the reason I so often feel afraid and so often feel inadequate because I'm standing at the edge of this river in my life and I know that God is calling me to go across, but I just don't know how he wants me to go across. And how do you know it's not the Red Sea and that you're supposed to wave your stick at it and part it? feel that way and I believe that the last thing that God is asking each of us to do and this is a step that no matter where you're at in life I believe you can take even when you don't have the rest of it figured out and even when there's situations down the road that you're going to have to face there's a river in front of us all and I believe that God is asking you to step into your stream step into your stream yeah so God again I just asked the question how do I know that the body of water in front of me is the Jordan River or the Red Sea Two completely different solutions here. I mean, how am I supposed to know which one it is? Because, you know, you've just allegorized the text, right? Because so many times we're standing on the edge of this river and we're waiting on God. God, what do I do now? I'm here. You called me to cross, but what do I do now? But what I see in the story of Joshua in Joshua chapter 3, they get to the Jordan River. And the Bible points out that it was in flood season because things are always a lot harder once we get there. Yeah, but how do you know what you're supposed to do is, you know, like tell the sun to stand still? I mean, are are you sure you've got the right allegory here in this circumstance? And they're standing at the edge of the Jordan River and it's flooding and Joshua has to put his faith into action. And God hasn't given him a specific instruction other than to cross. So Joshua did the only thing he knew how to do. He had to believe that if God was faithful in his past, God would be faithful in his present. And the same God who parted the water then could part the water now. And so it says that Joshua and the priest stepped into the stream. And the moment their feet touched the water, it says that God dried it up and they crossed on dry land. And I believe that God sent me here to tell somebody who's standing on the edge of your Jordan River, waiting on a miracle, that the miracle is waiting for you in the water. Yeah, again, that's just utter nonsense. And again, I just keep asking the question, how do I know that this is not a Red Sea moment? And that what I'm supposed to do is, uh, in faith, shake my stick at it. Hmm? You're sitting there saying, oh, your miracle's in the stream. Really? Uh Uh-huh. That's not what this text is about at all. You've totally biffed it. 
you have no clue how to rightly handle God's word. And the reason for that is because you've bought the narcissistic lies of Stephen Furtick. And this is utter nonsense. It doesn't make a lick of sense. How do you know that this isn't the moment in your life where you've got a big rock in front of you and you're thirsty and you need to strike the rock so that water comes out of it? Hmm? How do you know it's not that? How do you know this isn't the time when you're supposed to go to Mount Horeb and, you know, and because Jezebel is, is seeking to destroy you and you need to go into a cave, the, an allegorical cave, so that you can hear the still small voice? How do you know it's not that? Hmm? How do you know this isn't the time when you're supposed to go into an upper room and raise a, a dead thing from the grave? You, you just don't know. You see, when you do this with scripture, it doesn't make any sense at all. Step into your stream. The provision is there. The blessing is there. The really? And how do I step into my stream exactly? How does, how does one go about doing that? I'd like to know because it doesn't make any sense. The breakthrough is there. And so many times we're waiting on God, waiting on God, saying, God, I'm waiting on faith. Can you do something about my situation? And God is saying, I'm waiting on you. Step into your stream. Get your feet wet. There's something that each and every single one of us can do about that thing standing in front of us that we're so intimidated by. You might not have all the answers, but I believe we can take a step. And in my life, I'm so busy, so preoccupied thinking about all the things that I'm uncertain about that sometimes rather than doing anything, I do nothing. And God is encouraging me that even when I don't know what to do, Jonathan, can you just take a step? Take a step. What's the step that God is asking you to take today? Maybe you feel like, maybe you feel that God's called you to be generous. Maybe that's who God's called you to be. Oh yeah. So give money to, to uh, Elevation Church. That's what it means to step into your stream. Uh-huh. But you feel like, I don't see any margin in my life to be able to do that. And, and I can foresee unexpected bills down the road. Maybe God's asking you to take a step. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Maybe you feel like... Just start stepping. And, you know, maybe something will happen. You know, maybe that, I mean, maybe your miracle's in the stream. And maybe it's not. But just start stepping somehow, you know? Like me as a parent, God, how do I get my kid to love you and to, and to be the person you've called them to be? And how do I change his heart? And God's saying, don't worry about that. Can you take a step today? Just make a commitment to bring him to church each week. And maybe like, how do I change my husband's heart? It seems that no matter what I say, he won't change. And maybe God is saying, take a step. And can you love him unconditionally? And you, can you continue to be faithful? God, I don't, I don't know how to change that person's heart. They seem so hardened to you. Okay, but can you take a step? And bring them to church. Just invite them. Just invite them. There's a step that each of us can take. And I talked about clarifying our calling and dealing with our doubts and using those things as the momentum to give us the courage to step into our stream. But I think ultimately what God has been speaking to me through this passage and, and the thing I want to challenge you with today is this. Just do your thing. Do your thing. Because here's what I see in Joshua's life. Joshua had so many things to be intimidated by, but God had promised Joshua so much. And the, the parts of Joshua's calling that Joshua had to do were actually pretty simple. For the big things, God had given him a promise. And I realized in my life, the things that intimidated me, intimidate me the most that I feel inadequate for, God has already given me a promise for. They're not my thing to do. God is asking each of us to do your thing. Yeah, no, God is not, because doing your thing is the problem, because you're a sinner. Notice he's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus makes no sense in this theology, by the way. At least a crucified and risen Savior doesn't. 
do your thing. And here's why I wanted to tell someone today that when you do your thing, God can do his thing. Apparently God can't do his thing until you do your thing. Right. And that's salvation or destiny by works. And the Bible nowhere teaches this nonsense. Do your thing so that God can do his thing. Because it wasn't Joshua's job to part the Jordan River. He just had to take a step. And it wasn't Joshua's job to make the walls of Jericho come down. He just had to march. And it wasn't his job to make the sun stand still. He just had to fight. And so often I'm intimidated by what's out there. And God is saying, don't worry about that. Just do your thing. Jonathan, can Yeah, God's not telling you to do your thing. This, again, utter nonsense. God's word doesn't teach any of this. Can you step? Jonathan, can you march? Jonathan, can you fight? Keep doing your thing. Because when you do what you can in the natural, we have a God who says, I'll do my part in the supernatural. Yeah, that's not a biblical doctrine. Do your thing. Do your thing. Yeah, notice the sappy music. And now everyone's being whipped into a frenzy. Do your thing. Do your thing. And God's word teaches nothing of the sort. Do your thing. God is saying to someone, hey, don't worry about restoring that relationship, but can you do your thing and make the phone call? Don't worry about changing that person's heart, but can you invite them? Don't worry about knowing everything you need to do, but can you take a step? Sign up to be a part of an E-team. We each have a thing that we need to do that only you can do. Nonsense. And our pastor's given us a vision to reach 100. Your pastor has given you a vision. There's Stephen Furtick again. We're going to end off with Stephen Furtick's vision to reach 100,000 people. 1,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And- yeah, it sounds to me like he hasn't reached any of the people there at Elevation with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Christ bled and died for our sins and rose again on the third day. And uh, this is not, I'm not hearing the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. I'm hearing the gospel of find your dream destiny that God has laid on your heart and just step into the stream and do your part and God will do your part. That's not the biblical gospel. This is a false gospel. If you're rooted in this house, there's a thing that God is calling you to do, but he's created you to be something. And only you can do the thing that he's called you to do. Oh, he's got the Stephen Furtick-esque applause lines down, but none of this is biblical doctrine. But you got to step into your stream. And- yeah, step in it is what you've done, that's for sure. Not a stream, but you've stepped in it. And do your thing. And when we do our thing, we'll see God do the supernatural time and time again in our church. What I love about Joshua's life is we read earlier about the end of Moses' life, but Joshua had a great ending to his life too. In Joshua 23, it says this, Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And God is speaking great things over my life. And God is speaking great things over your life. But he's asking us to do our thing. Do your thing so that he can do his thing in our life. Thank- Done. Wow. What a mess. So there you go. Uh, that's the uh, the Farm League there. That's uh, one of the up-and-coming superstars of the Seeker-Driven Vision Casting Leader Network. And, uh, oh, boy, he's really learned the Stephen Furtick chops. I'm sure... One day when he thinks he's received a vision from God to do church for the unchurch and goes to some metropolitan area and selects his leadership team and casts vision to them, he will be, well, 
let me use a biblical term, twice the son of hell that uh, Stephen Furtick is because he's not preaching Christ. This is not the gospel. This is no way to handle God's word. In fact, this is utter twisting, delusional nonsense is what it is. And this is exactly what Scripture said would happen in the last days, that God would give people over to a strong delusion in preparation for the man of lawlessness because they didn't love the truth, but instead, had, had let's just say they enjoyed iniquity. It's Roseboro's paraphrase there. You get the point. What a mess. Okay, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>